1: If it's good policy, if people like it, if the American population
0: thinks that that's the right thing to do, it will survive, you know, regardless. It's not going to survive based on whether it's good policy. It's going to be subject to a political process um, that that uh, that is, um, that is uh, substance-free to an unfortunately large degree.
2: $4.5 trillion that, give or take a few hundred billion, that is the number that President Joe Biden has proposed to get America moving forward. He's calling it the Build Back Better plan. Well, that is the idea, a gigantic amount of spending that is ambitious or aggressive or aspirational or reckless, depending on your perspective and depending on what you believe that kind of money should be spent on and on where that kind of money should come from. Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan. Let's spend that money. Or not? I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared with another episode of Agree to Disagree, the program where smart people with opposing viewpoints meet in conversation. And for this one, I'm sitting down with Mark Zandi and Michael Strain. Mark, you are taking the yes position. You support the Build Back Better plan. You're also the chief economist for Moody's Analytics. You have debated with us on stage, in person, in front of live audiences before. So welcome back in this format. It's great to have you back. Thanks, John. It's good to be with you. I I miss those live events, though. They are a boatload of fun. Hopefully, you can get back to that soon. A boatload is exactly what they are, and we will be back to them someday. Michael Strain, you're a senior fellow economist at the American Enterprise Institute. I want to say welcome to Intelligence Squared for the first time. Welcome into the boat. It's great to have you here.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I'm looking forward to the boat party.
2: All right. So you both have been talking a lot about this plan from uh, essentially opposing viewpoints. So we're glad to get you both sitting at one table here today. And what I want to do for because it's 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 a fairly you, you need to know some of the the basic facts about what it is we're talking about. So before we begin to get to the part where we disagree, I just want to see if we agree on what it is we are talking about. So Mark uh, you'll be supporting the Build Back Better agenda. So, can you lay out? Take two minutes to lay out what it is the president has proposed, and and don't argue for or against it at this point. Just describe it for us.
1: Yeah, the the way that's broken down generally is into physical infrastructure uh, spending. Uh, so, you know, roads, bridges, broadband, water, power grids, uh, a range of physical infrastructure. And then uh, social infrastructure. So that's uh, you know everything from education, workforce development, uh, to housing. We have a very severe shortage of affordable homes across the country. Child care, uh, elder care, uh, paid family leave, uh, healthcare, uh, a range of uh, various types of social investments, and uh, the physical infrastructure, the social uh, infrastructure. Again, that uh, includes both spending in uh, various forms of uh, tax cuts uh, to uh, to pr- provide those uh, benefits to to the economy. So that, in, in a nutshell, is uh, what the president uh, proposed earlier this year.
2: I, I want to take it over to Michael. Would you agree, Michael? We're talking about the same thing here.
0: I do. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a very good summary. And
2: and Michael, how would you um, how would you rank this among spending? Spending visions let me put it that way in american history
0: well it's it's huge it's enormous um and uh i think that that it definitely stands out in uh the history of, of recent decades for sure
2: so mark sandy you are in support of in general of the of, of the plan and of this this spending plan this degree of spending and the goals of the spending make the case for it. take a couple of minutes on that
1: uh, sure. Uh, well, I think most importantly, uh, it is about lifting long-term economic growth. Uh, it's about uh, ensuring that businesses have good infrastructure uh, so that they can be competitive globally and expand and grow their business. Uh, it's about uh, improving, uh, therefore, productivity of the economy. Uh, It's about increasing labor force participation, Uh, participation rates, uh, particularly among women in lower income households, is low compared to many other parts of the world, in part because it's just very costly to work. Uh, Child care is very expensive, uh, health care, elder care, that kind of thing. So first and foremost, uh, it's a plan to improve the economy's long-term growth potential which has been kind of stuck in the mud, you know, since the financial crisis. And so you get, you know, back on track. Uh, and then secondly, it's about ensuring that the benefits of that increase in long-term economic growth accrue to lower income, uh, lower middle income households. Households that, you know, have very clearly been left behind in our economy. The income and wealth distribution has become increasingly more skewed. Over the past uh, three four decades and and this is uh, an, an effort to ensure that uh, that uh, the benefits of of the growth go to the, the groups that have been left behind and then uh, you know finally it, it's uh, well uh, it 's also addressing some very significant pernicious long term problems I mentioned the income and wealth distribution, but the obvi- other obvious uh, issue is is climate change which i think you know people starting, this is really starting to resonate with people given all the weather events which are now we it's increasingly easy to connect the dots back to to climate change uh and uh, the costs that that are involved with that and then the final thing i'll say is uh that uh you know all of this is done uh in a way that's paid for that uh the that uh the, that there will be tax increases uh, effectively rolling back The Trump tax cuts, the tax cuts for large corporations, the tax cuts for the well-to-do, high-income, high-net-worth households, uh, roll those back because those were massive in in themselves back in uh, 2018. Take that revenue and then use that, again, to uh, uh, help uh, build out uh, physical infrastructure, social infrastructure, lift long-term economic growth and make sure the benefits of that growth go to uh, low-middle-income households.
2: And before I take it over to Michael, I, M- Michael, a-, a moment ago was saying he does not consider the impact of the goods and services that would be bought with this money to be revolutionary. it's 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 not new deal like. It's not um it's not uh, Lyndon Johnson great society like. it's just it's not that ambitious. He called it a doubling down on existing programs. I'm wondering if you agree with that.
1: Uh, to a degree, but I view that as a feature, not a bug. Uh, I mean, we've got, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of things going on here. And I think it's important to uh, use the existing government infrastructure to make sure that we are able to execute in an effective way on all the things that are being proposed. But there are elements that are uh, transformational, I, I think, uh, around climate change, for example, you know a lot of what's being proposed here is uh you know uh, it's a big deal and uh, very transformational uh, you know it's it's moving the the dial in a very big way
2: all right michael strain your your take now on the the president's spending plan you are a critic what are the main points of your criticism
0: in terms of the main points of my of my criticism i i think i would make 3 um one uh one point relates to the kind of you know macroeconomic impact of, of 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 this and the timing of it the second point uh is more of a of a microeconomic point about the the actual things that the president wants to spend money on and then and then a third point is 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 a process uh a process point so on the first point uh, if if congress were to sign this into law it would add Four or five hundred billion dollars to the deficit over the next two years. And that would occur at a time when uh, the demand side of the economy is going to be uh, much, much stronger than the supply side. Uh, We have already seen several months of elevated consumer price uh, uh, inflation. Um, we see household surveys of inflation expectations showing some some troubling signs. Those haven't filtered into the bond market yet, uh, but but that could turn on a dime. So the the big macroeconomic problem facing the the economy right now is too much demand and too little supply. This would add to demand uh, without adding to supply. I think Mark is right that there are some uh, supply side. Uh, uh effects that 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 this that this program would have I would expect those to kick in much later so uh, you know you're talking about for example uh, uh five hundred billion dollars or so in in tax credits to households over the next two years you're talking about um over a hundred billion dollars of spending on social programs. This is going to fuel consumption at a time when, uh, when, when consumer demand is arguably too strong. There, w- there will be tax increases associated with it as well. But those tax increases um, uh, uh, are simply uh, not large enough to drown out the, the, the demand effects from the spending. So from a macroeconomic perspective, from a business cycle management perspective, this uh, over the next two years would make our inflation problem worse. Um, and it would it would reinforce the major problem uh, uh, that the economy faces, which is too much demand and too little supply rather than, rather than mitigating it um, secondly from from a microeconomic perspective, you know a lot of the a lot of this spending I think is just very poorly designed um, i I share mark 's goal of improving. The longer term uh, growth prospects for the economy. I share Mark's goal of increasing economic opportunity, particularly for lower income households. Uh, and I think that that there is a, a real role for the government to spend some money to 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 advance those goals. A lot of what we're talking about here is really aimed at the middle class. Uh, monthly checks to households with children that 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 go to households making. A quarter of a million dollars, three hundred thousand dollars a year. You know that's that's not gonna that's not gonna help boost long term economic growth. It's not gonna it's not gonna help uh, uh, expand economic opportunity to um, lower income households. My third criticism um, is a process criticism. We have seen, I think, from the Affordable Care Act and from the twenty seventeen tax cuts, uh, how important it is to policy stability for big, expensive, broad-reaching pieces of uh, economic policy legislation to have at least some bipartisan support. If this were passed on a, on a party-line vote with only Democrats under the reconciliation uh, process that exists in Congress, then all of these programs would be on uh, substantially um, rocky ground. Uh, they would be very unstable. There would be big debates about, about wholesale repeal. Uh, and this uncertainty is bad for the economy. It makes it hard for people to plan. Um, and uh, it would just be much, much better, I think, if if there were some bipartisan uh, support.
2: I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. More of our conversation when we return. At Evernorth Health Services... Welcome back to Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm your host John Donvan. Let's return to our discussion. Okay, Michael. So we heard your three points, and we heard the uh, Mark's uh, opening position. And, and there's there are there are several pieces of this to go through where the two of you uh, are, I think are likely to, to remain in disagreement. Mark, um, I'm I'm curious about uh, to to get things started. Um, Michael's concern about inflation, making the argument that, first of all, we have a population that has been not spending a whole lot of money for the past year. A lot of them have been saving that money. They're ready to spend that money. And he's arguing that a, a, a program at this time just at the macroeconomic level, the fact that so many people are ready to spend and to throw so much more money into the system by like enormous scale has to be inflationary. And we would be paying that price in fairly short time. Can you take that on?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not worried about inflation uh, with regard to this legislation. I mean, we, we clearly have a, a problem with inflation uh, in the here and now. But that's about the pandemic. You know, the economy is opening quickly, demand has surged. The supply side of the economy hasn't been able to keep up, given the pandemic, global supply chains and, you know, people being sick and, you know, so forth and so on. That'll abate. And this uh, uh, legislation we're talking about now doesn't kick in until, you know, next year and really not until 2023. So uh, the inflationary issues we're facing today are independent of, uh, in my view, the you know any concerns about the inflation with regard to this package
2: all right let me let me take that let me take that back to michael
0: I agree with mark that, that a lot of the inflationary pressures we're seeing right now are, are due to uh, uh reopening after the pandemic they're due to households sitting on over two trillion dollars of excess savings that they're that they're able to spend a lot of that is related to the pandemic um that's the demand side on the supply side there there are a lot of uh Pandemic-related uh, reasons why um, the supply side of the economy isn't able to keep up with the demand side, but I I don't expect those problems to to disappear anytime soon. I think those problems are going to be with us in 2022 um, and uh, possibly even in the 2023. And again, if you if you look at um, what the president is proposing, there would be hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, that would go into households' pockets in, in, in 2022 and hundreds of billions of dollars that would go into households' pockets in 2023. And the tax increases that the president is proposing uh, uh, simply uh, wouldn't um, overwhelm that effect. The, 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 the amount of money the president wants to raise in taxes is much less than the amount of money the president wants to, wants to give to households uh, in 2022 and 2023. So I think that this would uh, boost demand at a time when we have too much demand um, and would not uh, do anything to uh, to mitigate inflationary pressures and, and in fact, would, would exacerbate them.
2: Let me, let me let Mark come back to that one more time. Go for it, Mark, please.
1: Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I'd say bring it on. I mean, the unemployment rate is still 5.4%. That's way too high, and that doesn't include the millions of people who've stepped out of the workforce altogether because of the pandemic and are not counted as unemployed. So we, have, we still have a, a lot of what economists would call slack in the economy that we have to work through. And, I, and I'd say that there's nothing wrong with a strong economy. We want people to be fully employed. We want strong wage growth. We want to get back to that. And I think uh, the, if you do the, the – based on my arithmetic of the plan and, and, and looking through it, uh, I don't get to a place where the economy and I, Michael's I think concerned that it will overheat, that you know unemployment will get so low that wage growth will be so strong that inflation will become more of an endemic problem in the economy, could lead to higher interest rates and potentially lead to a recession, which obviously nobody wants. Uh, so, but I don't get there, you know, with the with the numbers that are uh, here. In fact, I get. Uh, to an economy that is at full employment with uh, with wage growth that's consistent with underlying productivity growth, but I'm not I'm not worried about it. I say let, you know let's get there, and uh, if if things are. Uh, feeling uh, a little hot, uh, you know uh, then, the, then we, uh, the Federal Reserve can manage policy, and that 's what the federal reserve does that 's what they did with the, with the tax cuts that uh, were implemented under President Trump. They had to navigate around that they raised interest rates to try to cool things off so uh, a lot of what 's being proposed here in the plan is would address inflationary issues so for example, we all know that rents are rising very rapidly, and rents are rising very rapidly and this is a big part of of, of inflation is because we have a very severe shortage of housing, particularly uh, for lower priced homes and affordable rental. And a big part of what's being proposed here is to build more homes, to uh, provide incentives, tax incentives and other spending to increase the supply of housing to get rents down. So there are parts of the plan that would go to directly addressing any concerns about inflation.
0: Michael? So there are two kind of distinct threats here. to uh, to 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 the economy. One thread is the one that Mark outlined, which is you know consumers and, 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 and businesses kind of change their expectations about uh, the future path of inflation, and that those expectations become self fulfilling, and the economy. Uh, ends up in, you know, a kind of wage price spiral like we saw in the 1960s, uh, in 1970s. I think that's a possibility. I probably think it's a, a, a stronger possibility than, than, than Mark does. Uh, but that's, that's, I, I don't expect that that will happen and, and that's not my main concern. My main concern instead is, uh, that the Federal Reserve decides that it needs to, uh, pump the brakes. On the economy, uh, because it knows that 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 any actions it takes today, you know, takes several months to really kick in, and so it's trying it's trying to figure out, you know, are we going to have inflation six months from now? Are we going to have inflation nine months from now? Is it going to be troubling? What should we do today to to react to what we think might happen in the future? Um, and you know, the Fed decides that it wants to slow the economy, but but not put it in reverse. Um, and and the Fed just isn't isn't able to to micromanage the the economy with enough precision to uh, to to execute that, that outcome. And so instead of slowing the economy, uh, it does end up putting the economy um, in, uh, in 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 reverse. I think I think that is a very real risk that we face right now. If you, if you look at household inflation expectations, they've, they've risen uh, uh, considerably. They're near 5% at this point. Um, if you look at the behavior of consumer and producer prices, you see uh, uh, worrying signs as well um, and that's without another uh, $3.5 trillion of, um, of uh, uh, government spending. Uh, so th- that I think is 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 a very important, uh, very important uh, distinction to make: the, the distinction between inflation being bad because it leads the Fed to accidentally cause a recession, and inflation being bad because we gotta repeat the nineteen sixties.
1: Michael makes a you know good case, and you know economists have their views. I will point out that the collective wisdom in the financial markets is. Uh, no problem. Don't worry. There's no inflationary issues. I mean, the, the, you can go take a look at the the uh, interest rates, ten-year Treasury yields, for example, and you can tease out of that what the expectations are of investors. The, again, the, the global collective wisdom. Of investors about future inflation. And they're, they're saying no problem. In fact, what they're saying now is inflation is exactly, precisely where you would want it to be, somewhere between two and two and a half percent. And of course, these are people putting their money where their mouth is. They're buying bonds and they're looking out 10 years because these are 10 year investments. And they're saying, hey, you know, and I know there's going to, you know, I'm pricing in the, the the very clear likelihood that we are going to get a big package from the president. That that's, you know, embedded in these expectations. But yet, you know, don't don't worry. This this the and, and of course, the bond market could be wrong too. Every you know, who who who's to know? But you know, the collective judgment is that uh, you know this is just is about right. It's you know right right exactly down the the strike zone in terms of where we want inflation to be.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with Mark about that, and and I think it's important. Mm you know to to look at what the bond market is telling us i would just i would add that um if you if you go back to last year the bond market was expecting about 1.6% inflation over the next 5 years uh now the bond market is expecting about 2.4% inflation so that's a substantial increase um in just one year uh and again this is this is before um another big fiscal policy package uh, and so the question you know it, it's a question about what's going to happen in the future what makes it which makes it really difficult but the question is if uh, congress does pass another big big spending bill that is going to spend hundreds of billions of dollars over the next 2 years what does that do to 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 the outlook
2: all right, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to call an impasse on the question of inflation because you just clearly disagree, and I don't think you're going to persuade each other on that one. But I want to take a look at the matter of the timing of these proposed spending plans. And I, and I take note of the fact, uh, Michael, your most recent book is titled "The American Dream Is Not Dead," and you have you have an optimistic take on uh, on the economy and on the ability. Of people, certainly in the middle class, to 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 be to, to prosper, uh, not without. You're not in any ways saying that things are perfect. By no means, but you're 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 generally more optimistic than a lot of people. I'm I'm curious, and I want to start with you, Mark, on this one. A large part of this uh, of the proposed uh, expenditures, for example, on on climate change, on um, on um, uh, child care on education they don't have anything to do with coming back from a pandemic necessarily these these same proposals could have been put on the table and argued for 2 years ago 5 years ago and so my question is is this a situation where president biden and his party are are as the saying goes not letting a crisis go to waste and enacting changes to 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 fix what they see are as, as serious problems with the economy some of which you outlined for example income and wealth inequality um, the the access to the, to the workplace of, uh, of, uh, of, of women and minorities the the weakness of unions all, all sorts of things that the the Democratic Party or certain wings of it have stood for for a long time are they using this moment of crisis to to push forward an agenda that they could have pushed forward, If there were a even if there were not a pandemic,
1: no, I I don't. I don't think this has anything to do with the pandemic. I think the American Rescue Plan, that was the 1.9 trillion package passed in March of this year, that was about that's about the pandemic. That was about getting helping the economy navigate to the other side of the pandemic as gracefully as it possibly could. But this is about uh, 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 the future, the long term future of the economy, and addressing some of those long term. Structural problems and, and
2: I, and I, I guess i 'm asking why now why, is it it's simply because there 's a Democrat in the White House and there 's De- Democrats control congress
1: exactly I mean this is what happened with or without the pandemic i mean the, this is a you, you rarely get a situation where you have the uh, the, the presidency and the Congress uh, in the hands of one party. And uh, that's an opportunity to, you know, put forward uh, your agenda, just like the Trump administration did, you know, back in 2016, they they had uh, the White House and the Congress, and they passed those large tax cuts. So I, I don't, I think this this legislation would have come would have been born you know regardless and by the way michael made a really good point about bipartisanship and why that is more durable if you can have legislation that's bipartisan absolutely positively agree with that but i mean here's the reality of it that you know after that uh, skinny down infrastructure bill that got that, that there's bipartisan support for there there is no possibility of any kind of agreement by, on a bipartisan way. And I will, uh, on the, uh, the rest of the plan, the social infrastructure part of the plan in particular. And I, will, I would also argue that at the end of the day, good policy survives. If it's bad policy, like the Trump tax cuts, they they don't survive because the next Congress is going to say you know I don't like that and we're going to do something about it. But if it's good policy, if people like it, if the American population thinks that that's the right thing to do, it will survive you know regardless. So,
2: well, but I, I I've seen Michael you make the point that that's not necessarily the case that um, if if uh, if these spending plans are enacted without. Uh, any sort of meaningful Republican support, that the next time the Republicans get into the White House and control Congress, they're just going to cut this stuff back again. And I, I've I've seen you make that argument, and and Mark is saying that's not true. If the policy is good, it's going to stick. So what's your take on that?
0: Um, I I'm I'm worried about that. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I think a lot. There are a lot of. Factors involved, obviously. I mean, you know, President, um, Obama famously kept in place the majority of the, of the Bush tax cuts. The Affordable Care Act has survived multiple multiple attempts by the Republican Party to to repeal it. Um, and so, you know, some of it depends on how long the president is, is in office. I think if President Obama hadn't won re-election to a second term, we probably wouldn't have an ACA. So will President Biden be re-elected in um, 2024 is a big question. You know, my, my point is that it just creates an environment of, of, of massive uh, uncertainty um uh, and it makes it very difficult for uh, for households and businesses to plan. Um, and I do think that uh, that if this were to pass, it would it would be um, target number one for the Republicans who are, uh, hoping to be president in 2024, and if one of them if one of them wins, um, I think uh, uh, it's very likely that 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 a large share of of what the president uh, of what President Biden wants to do uh, certainly certainly could be repealed. Um, it's not going to survive based on whether it's good policy. Um, some good policies will be repealed. Some bad policies will 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 keep in place. Uh, uh, it's 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 going to be subject to a political process um, that that uh, that is um, that is uh, substance free to an unfortunately large degree if on the other hand if this were done uh, with bipartisan support you know then you're you're allowing a much more substantive uh, uh, process to shape the legislation in the first place and so I think that, uh, that that does lead to, to better design policies that that have longer staying power because they're better designed.
2: Let's talk a little bit about, about paying the bill. And Mark Sandy, you've pointed out that there are going to be tax increases, including very targeted, very explicitly, very much advertised tax increases on corporations um and on the wealthiest Americans. Is that because that's where the money is, or is that because it's a politically popular idea, or both?
1: Uh, both. Absolutely both. I mean, that's where the money is, obviously. Uh, I mean, lower and middle income households are struggling, uh, particularly low income households. But uh, high income households, high net worth households are doing very, very well. And that's where the money and large corporations you know, are, are doing very, very well. Corporate earnings are very strong. And that's where uh, the, the, the money is. But it's good policy. Uh, you know, I, I think even if you roll back the Trump tax cuts to a significant degree, which is what's being proposed here to pay for the $4.5 trillion package, um, you, you, I, you know, I, I don't I, – the negative consequences of that on the economy are on the margin. I mean, all else being equal, raising taxes are going to hurt the economy. But uh, this is uh, uh, very much on the margin. And The reason why I say that is uh, just the evidence. I mean, the tax cuts that were put into place – in 2018, the Trump tax cuts, you, you know, if you go back and look, and there's now now a number of academic studies that are uh, coming forth on this, there was a very uh, inconsequential, very difficult to see, uh, very hard to tease out any kind of economic benefit from those tax cuts. So, you know, logic would dictate, well, if it didn't really add to the economy, then it's not really going to hurt the economy, of you know, rolling back those tax cuts. And the other thing I'd say is, When we when we say rolling back, you know, even after you roll it back, the actual effective tax rate, what people are actually going to pay, high income households, high net worth households are going to pay, what corporations are going to pay, is still very very low by uh, our long run historical norms. You know, it's no higher than it has been on average since World War II. So, it you know, it's where the money is, and and I'd say it's it's very good policy because it's being used to pay for. You know, policies that will have
2: uh, yeah I I guess I'm asking if it has a little bit of a populist overtone as well
1: well it's it's yeah sure I mean make, that makes sense right it's and that's that goes to my other point that you know it, it will stick because it's popular you know people say yeah that makes a lot of sense to me so uh, you, you know and if people say it's and, it, and that cuts across all political uh, you know the the popularity of doing this of raising taxes on high-income households, high uh, big corporations, is popular among many uh, Democrats and many Republicans. And so I think that will stick.
2: I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll hear more from our debaters right after this. Welcome back to Intelligence Squared U.S. Let's get back to our debate. Let me take it over to Michael. The uh the, the the whole proposal to raise taxes on corporations and the wealthiest Americans, good idea or bad idea?
0: Well, I think it's a bad idea. Um I think it's a bad idea because there are there are better ways to, to raise revenue. Uh you know, first of all, if we were to increase the tax rate that corporations pay.
2: Remind us of the numbers that we 're talking about here
0: the The plan is to increase the the, the corporate tax rate considerably from uh, to, to do a, to do a full repeal of 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 the Trump tax cut. I think what you know what likely would end up happening is is a corporate tax rate that would that would rise from twenty one percent its current value to something like twenty eight percent that seems like uh, that's that's the kind of thing that, that, that the Democrats in the Senate could agree to, um, and then the plan is to increase the tax rates on uh, on capital gains um, you know again I think uh, you know kind of an increase of, of of roughly of roughly the same the same magnitude is what could pass the Senate and I think these are these are these are not the right way to raise this revenue take the take the corporate take the corporate rate for example if you if you increase the corporate rate you're going to reduce the wages of workers and so president biden's uh promise to not increase taxes on on households making less than $400,000 a year is going to be violated um let me let me
2: just stop you from a layman's perspective talk us through why increasing the corporate tax rate is going to decrease the wages of workers
0: increasing the corporate tax rate will uh will Will reduce the amount of investment spending that businesses uh, that businesses engage in that will reduce productivity uh, and lower productivity will reduce the extent to which businesses compete in the labor market to attract and retain workers. less competition in the labor market for workers will will lower their wages
2: I just want to take that for fourteen seconds to mark to see if that cause and effect make that that makes sense to you, mark or is that disputable
1: uh, in, in theory right in practice it's inconsequential it's right. not much on the margin second third order kind of effects
0: okay let me bring it back to michael keep going michael the kind of consensus view about like economists is you know that workers uh will bear you know 20 percent 25 percent of of the burden of a corporate tax increase you know i wouldn't i wouldn't characterize that as inconsequential or as or as a second or third order effect that's that's going to be felt by by workers and it's something that should be avoided um it a higher corporate tax rate also makes the us uh, a less attractive place to do business um in 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 a world that's increasingly uh competitive you know having said all that you, you know you need you need to raise money for for spending and so i i do commend the president for trying to trying to 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 pay for this um, the big glaring omission here is where is the carbon tax uh, the the president wants to enact policies to mitigate climate change the president wants to raise revenue uh, to pay for social programs and to pay for uh, transfer payments to households uh, the carbon tax would do both and a40 dollar a ton carbon tax which is you know kind of uh, you know, a, a kind of consensus uh, place to start um, that 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 could generate uh, enough money to pay for well over half of the president 's entire three point five trillion dollar spending proposal uh, and, and if we raised money by taxing pollution, we wouldn 't have to raise taxes on corporations. we wouldn't have to raise taxes on savings it 's econ one on one. If you tax something, you get less of it. Do we want less corporate income? Do we want less savings? No and no. Do we want less pollution? The president does. Where's the carbon tax?
1: Well, I, I, you know, there's, there's, I think there's widespread agreement among economists, and I'm right in there with Michael. I love the carbon tax. I think that's a great idea. But it's a political non-starter, uh, very difficult to do. It would uh, torpedo the president's total plan because he wouldn't be able to get that through even the, his, uh, the Democratic Senate. But but having said that, I, I would point out, interestingly enough, that in the—you know, the president proposed this legislation earlier in the year, and now it's making its way through Congress. In the current legislative uh, kind of incarnation of this plan, the thing that that's, the, that got passed by the Senate— and, uh, is in reconciliation the, Re- the Democratic Senate they have a what they call a uh, carbon border adjustment tax, which is kind of cool you know it 's kind of like a carbon tax, and the Europeans are also thinking about doing it, and they want the Americans to come along us so that it feels like politically we kind of sort of in moving in the right direction, maybe not what I would do if I were king for the day. But you know, if I were the advisor to the king, I'd say this this seems seems pretty good to me. So you know, we're moving in that direction. But I think the reason why I didn't make in, it into the uh, you know President Biden's original proposal is just a you know a political calculation. I want to he wants to get this done. So you know, what do, what do I need to do to get this done?
2: Michael, speaking of, of that point of, of getting it done, there is a sense every time the president has talked about this since last January that at some point or other. Particularly on an issue that has, you know, I, I think broad consensus uh, uh, of the nature of the problem, climate change, that sooner or later something really big and something really expensive would have to be undertaken. And so now he's doing it. W- w- do, do you think he's right that? It, it a big check needed to be written at some point. You may disagree with the details. I'm actually more talking about the bottom line, that this was going to have to be a great, big, expensive thing that was going to need federal leadership. And now he's, so now I'm doing it, he's saying. What do you think of that?
0: Well, I I think that there's uh, a lot of um, insight in, in in Mark's comment that the president just wanted to get this done Um and you know I think that that is shaping the climate the climate provisions and and and, and the entire package um, you know a a way to get a better law would be to take a little more time and actually engage in in some persuasion uh, there's there's a lot of stuff in here uh, and um uh, you know the 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 idea is just to kind of ram it through the system without it without it really being subject to scrutiny or, or debate uh climate climate policy which which was your question is um, is is a great example of this uh, you know, the the best way to reduce carbon emissions in the United States is to enact a carbon tax uh hands down um, a carbon tax would do much more uh to fight climate change than than the provisions that the president uh has has put in the proposal it would do more than Weatherization it would do more than electrification it would do more than. Um, uh, but
2: it, it it seems the reason he's he's setting things up in terms of you know winterizing houses and building, uh, building out an infrastructure for charging recharging electric cars is that he's trying to simultaneously provide a lot of jobs. So it's kind of, uh, it's it's structured as a sort of double win. It'll address the economy and it'll also employ a lot of people. Does I mean that seems to me to be. The the, the, the the thinking in structuring it that way. Um, I, I wonder, Mark, do you agree that, that that that's part of the thinking and that and is, is Michael right that there would be more efficient ways to actually address climate than providing all of those jobs to all of those people, but providing all of those jobs to all of those people has its own benefit.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's about uh, more and better jobs uh, than, because the economy will be at full employment. You know, we will have low unemployment. And so it's about making sure that the jobs we do have are the jobs of the future, that they pay well, and that they, you know, make sure that everyone's uh, doing better than they have done before. They're better jobs. Uh, You know, they're green jobs. They're not you know, kind of uh, in, uh, you know, mining jobs or these are you know, higher uh, uh, quality jobs. I, I will say, though, you know, I, I, I think it's it's wrong to argue that these policies are like half-baked or haven't been thought through, that they're being rammed through. Not so, uh, you know, because I'm involved in some of the pieces of this, and I know exactly the process that's going in place. And it's a very, very careful process that's been in train for years. You know, these policies aren't, you know, just these These have been policies that people have been working on for decades and thinking about them and you know uh trying them out in pilot projects at the state level and thinking through these things so this these are not these are not uh, things that are just you know being thrown you know together. well I, I
2: think what I think what michael's is saying is being rammed through is the legislative process that um you know the, these things passing with one you know a, a tied vote broken by the vice president is not. It, that's, that is uh, almost by definition a ramming through, especially using the end run of reconciliation. I, I hear
1: you. I hear you, John. But look, I mean, we're not going to get anything done. I mean, we tried this. Uh, President Obama tried that uh, strategy, and after Obamacare, zero got done. Nothing got done after 2010. So, I mean, there you, as you can understand, there's a lot of concern that, you know, if you engage in, in a process, that the process is going nowhere. And we got problems. We got climate change problems. We got problems with income and wealth distribution. We have got an economy that's not growing quickly enough. You know, so we need to act. And this is the time to act. So, you know, I hear you. And I'd, I'd, love, I'd love for that to be true, that, you know, with Deliberate, you know, policy discussions that we're going to come to a conclusion that's going to be better. I don't believe that to be true. That's just not practical.
2: So, Michael, uh, Mark just mentioned the other sort of big problem, uh, and I want to take this to you again in light of your book talking about the American Dream not being dead. Um, income and wealth inequality, which is truly at extremes, and particularly at the at the uh, the more deprived end of the extreme, affecting discrete groups, uh, uh, particularly um, um, minorities. And I want to ask you whether, like climate change, this is a problem that does have to be dealt with, that should be dealt with by the federal government, that should be dealt with through a spending program. What is your take on that?
0: Um, I'm less concerned about inequality per se than I than I am concerned uh, about um Helping people uh, uh, at the bottom, helping helping people who who live in uh, low income households uh, and who and who need greater access to the opportunities that that, that exist in our country uh, the president 's doing some of that the the expansion in in, in the earned income tax credit, for example uh, is is a policy that that will do that um, but i don 't think we should we should confuse uh, uh, the three and a half trillion dollar uh, budget bill. With um, a, a bill that is really designed to, to help provide a greater opportunity to, to lower-income households, this, this bill will uh, overwhelmingly benefit the middle class. Um, if, you, if you look at the dollars that are being spent here, those dollars are going to go uh, – the vast majority of those dollars are going to go to households that are, that are well above the poverty line. Um, will, will some things help lower income households in here? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. They will. Um, and, and, uh, in, in several instances, they're, they're well designed and, 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 and they should be, they should be commended. But this is, this is uh, the, 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 spending in this bill is, uh, much more, uh, targeted to, to the middle class than it is, uh, targeted to, to lower income households.
1: Yeah, well uh, i am not sh- I, I think it helps low and middle income households and i think low income households middle income households you know certainly need the help that uh, they're uh, uh, you know they're they're struggling uh, have been struggling for you know uh, for the past three four decades and that was brought into you know, very clear relief uh, during the pandemic itself particularly yeah, uh, you know, folks in the bottom uh, uh, half of the uh, of the distribution of income, uh, and in, in in most cases, that part of the distribution has no wealth. You know, they don't own stocks, uh, and in most cases, they don't own any homes. So they're you know very hard pressed, and they rely on government. You know, particularly in times of crisis. So I, I you know I I think this plan goes a long way to uh, addressing the income and wealth inequalities. Will it solve it? No, because it's a problem that's been in train for three or four decades. It's not going to be solved by even a plan this large, but it's a good start in that direction. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not a reason not to vote for this piece of legislation, just because it also helps out middle-income households.
2: Well, in terms of a vote for legislation, what do, what do you both predict in terms of, uh, of of all of this ultimately going through? As you mentioned at the beginning, you've both mentioned that uh, a, a narrow a narrower version of the infrastructure plan uh, has been uh, agreed on between the parties with um, a significant number of Republican votes. I guess people don't really disagree that we need the new roads and the bridges and the broadband. That that part uh, is is less. Uh, less in dispute. But there is so much more that's more socially, uh, as, as was described, um, the social uh, benefit of these programs, such as um, free college education, uh, support for child care, um, strengthening uh, unions, uh, etc., cetera, uh, to, to enhance the, the, the power of labor. Uh, th- those things, I think, would be much more contentious. And I wanted to get your take on just a prediction on uh, – I'll start with you, Michael. Do you think that those things will ultimately – co- that spending on those will ultimately become the law?
0: Um, I think the the odds of of the $3.5 trillion budget proposal being signed into law are uh, significantly less than 50-50. Um, the question is uh, – what will be signed into law, because I think I think something ultimately ultimately will. Um, and is that something that has two trillion dollars of what the president wants, one point five trillion, two point five trillion. You know, that I think is where is where the um, the debate is going to be. Uh, but I but I, I think it's 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 quite unlikely that that, that he'll get uh, that the president will get the full the full Bill he wants.
2: What what do you think the things he won't be able to get?
0: Uh You know i think I think that remains to be seen um, uh, and uh, right now, most of the debate in Washington has been about the top line figures it's been about the macroeconomic impact that the bill will have, um, and there hasn't really been a debate about about the details yet, and um, I'm hoping that, that 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 comes because that's obviously a, a critical component.
2: Mark, same question to you. Where, where, what, what do you see the, the the president being able to get through, and his party being able to get through in this process?
1: Yeah, it was really interesting to hear, hear Michael say that. I, I, I surprised me a little bit. I mean, because he's such a good observer of the Washington scene, so uh, I, I, I take that with. the, uh, uh, It's an important point. Um, what I'm assuming, and you know, I do economic forecasting for a living, right? So. I have to have very explicit assumptions uh, uh, around my uh, assumptions around the fiscal policy and monetary policy. And I'm assuming that $3 trillion will get through. That would include both the infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure plan. That's the $550 billion that got bipartisan support. And that that would also include an additional $2.5 trillion in social infrastructure, the kinds of things we've been talking about. So $3 trillion in total. And that it would be paid for over a fifteen-year uh, fifteen-year period. I, I may have to rethink, uh, you know, the, the the odds I would put on passage. But uh, uh, before Michael uh, uh, opined on this, I, I would have said uh, uh, significantly above even odds that we'll get about a three trillion dollar package.
2: Well, I, I like that as an indication of how much uh, show of respect for one another and uh, that you take one another so seriously. And as we as we wrap up, I want to. I want to thank you for for taking on a topic that uh, requires a lot of nuance, and um, and economics is a tough subject for the lay audience. But I think that you made it quite understandable. There's there's a lot of unpredictable here. One is, you know, what aspects of this plan will pass, and the second one that Michael brought up. If it passes and then the Republicans take over, does it all get undone again? We just don't know. Uh, and that that is unpredictable. So much of this is unpredictable. But the two of you, uh, Michael and, and, and Mark, gave us a little bit of a glimpse into the future that I think is useful and enlightening. And you did it in a way, as I said, that you showed respect for one another. And that's what we aim for uh, in our competitive conversations at Intelligence Squared. So Michael Strain and Mark Zandy, thank you so much for joining us on Intelligence Squared. Agree to disagree. Thank you, John. Can I
1: uh, thank Michael? And can I say, you know, I I strive to be 51% right. So, you know, just just saying.
0: (laughs) If you're 51% right, then you win. Yeah, there you There you go. That's my point. Yeah.
2: Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you. I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning into this episode of Intelligence Squared. I hope that you enjoyed it just as much as we did. Intelligence Squared is a nonprofit, generously funded by listeners like you and by the Rosencrantz Foundation. Claire Connor is our CEO. David Ariosto is head of editorial. Amy Kraft is chief of staff and leads production. And Shay O'Mara is our consulting producer. Jen Zelmer is our senior researcher. Damon Whittemore is our radio producer. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman, and I'm your host. John Donovan.